0: part two chapter nine of martin Schuler by romer wilson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine steinbach sat amongst the audience at the student's performance of martin's the poverty of croesus he sat solidly and silently with wide-open blue eyes behind powerful pince-nez that magnified them to imbecility and made them bulge his round pink head seemed stuck with glue into his tight shining collar. His nose rose into a snub above a short golden crop of hairs that he wore as a moustache. His mouth was large and full of admirable white teeth, and his hair, which was sandy, was parted and brushed in the English fashion. He kept his eyes fixed on Martin, who conducted his own composition, and his mind became concentrated critical faculty and power of judgment. Martin looked imposing in the conductor's chair. His black hair was thick and oily, and brushed back in the solid wave set in fashion by Beethoven. He had a small, dark, square mustache clipped along the line of his upper lip, and down the lines from his nose to the corner of his mouth. He might have been twenty-eight years old, but he was barely twenty-four. He wore pince-nez, but rather from affectation than from necessity his head arms and shoulders looked fine and able against the light background of the stage and berthe who was amongst the audience sighed with relief because he showed no signs of physical decadence he wore a fine black cloth coat and dress trousers the coat cut like a dinner jacket no waistcoat a soft white shirt a high double collar and a small black tie-of-the-day variety that resembled his moustache and repeated its design upon his hands he had white kid gloves with black markings frau von arnim who at that time had a sentimental attachment for him thought this was a pity because it hid the fascinating way his fingers turned up at the ends he looked conceited and prosperous and from the back impressive from the stage he was terrifying one could see him bite his lips and swear when response was not forthcoming his manner assured one of failure before one had failed and frightened the last vestige of confidence out of the performers von der gorst who acted croesus alone saved the situation from fiasco from the outbursts of applause however one would have concluded that a masterpiece had been most magnificently exhibited when the affair was over and von der was in the dressing-room with his wig in his hand martin sulked in and burst into self-condemnatory rage the gods be damned he cried i have made a fool of myself what acting what apes what cows they could not put their tights on decently can one conduct when one is distracted by crooked leggings damnation the acting was awful said von der gorst disinterring his young moustache from grease-paint that was not your fault old chap you pulled horrible faces did i said martin what has that to do with it there was a man in the audience went on von der gorst with ghastly eyes when i first came on i could not see anything else they bulged and shone in that beastly dark cavern what has that got to do with it said martin people from other towns were there i might have made a hit it was a fiasco no said von der gorst nearly but not quite the music was all right you cannot help the sheepishness of the students whatever failure there was growled martin my fault or not will be put down to me i tell you i will never produce another cursed thing in this hell of a town don't pull faces next time said gorst laughing really the audience thought the whole affair wonderful and for a citizen of this town rather magical oh yes say straight off it was good for an amateur martin scowled ferociously and snapped his pince-nez which he held in his hand in half with his fingers steinbach sauntered in you are not an amateur he said quietly may i compliment you herr von Schuler?" martin was not called von Schuler as a rule steinbach thus paid him a delicate compliment those were your eyes then said von der gorst and laughed steinbach smiled and showed all his beautiful white teeth windows which not only admit but also shed the light he exclaimed and sat down on a packing-case marked mannskopf und Zune. there was a pause in which nobody said anything von der gorst went on with his operations which seemed to be rather painful martin fitted and refitted his broken glasses together you have broken your glasses said steinbach the glass is broken and the play is done martin took no notice and steinbach looked at his watch and said very politely may i call upon you to-morrow martin felt pleased he answered cordially any time you may walk home with me to supper if you care to the truth was he wanted to hear somebody criticise his music particularly somebody who was not stupid he wanted to say then and there tell me what did you think of the thing but von der gorst was present and he also felt averse to open the subject although he longed to do so if he was shy it was a new sensation he would not have felt shy if he could have thought of a good roundabout sentence to begin with he was too tired to go straight to the point and afraid because he was tired of hearing something not to his liking he thought he would be sick if in answer to a plain question steinbach had said his play was bad or might have been better or that he had flown too high or that he steinbach would like to hear something else before thinking him a genius or even that it was quite good steinbach looked at his watch again and answered thank you i will von der Gorst was exposing a tender fencing wound on his cheek he looked at steinbach out of the corner of his eye who stared solemnly back at him that looks very painful said steinbach then turned to martin and asked when and where he was to meet him or if they were going now meet me in half an hour by the church in the marktplatz if that is not too late he answered he wanted to find out what Gorse thought of steinbach though he really did not care he was sensitive and silly that evening very well said steinbach and turned to go we shall meet again when he was out of the room von der gorst said that's a queer fish yes said martin his appearance is unprepossessing look here said von der through whistles of pain come to lunch to-morrow damn this plaster blood was trickling down his cheek i cannot said martin for no reason but that he felt inexpressibly bored with him at the moment he was pressing a towel to his face and martin thought he looked second-rate he smelt second-rate now steinbach had been in the room and martin wondered why he had remained to hear any of his opinions about anything it is rather difficult not to appear at a disadvantage in clothes semi-classical and semi-modern with a towel round one's neck and a sore cheek especially when one is very tired martin made no allowances Von de thought i shall not see much of this young man any more but added aloud we are both tired it is easy to come to the end of a friendship when tired but he hoped like everybody else that when they were themselves again everything would be as before martin watched him uneasily for a few minutes and longed to go away soon he said i must go you have plenty of time said von der gorst rather sourly not too much said martin good night good night growled von der gorst he had a grievance martin had neither thanked him nor complimented him with this grievance he consoled himself and pretended that he had ceased to think himself a friend of martin's and said so the next day to some of his acquaintances martin met steinbach at the church they were both early but steinbach was there first i am afraid i am late said martin but steinbach replied no no i am early it was a light night the full summer moon shone down into the market-place and in the light darkness the roofs of the houses showed reddish and the leaves of the trees greenish and the brown woodwork of the windows and doors brownish like a photograph faintly washed with pure colour there were clouds of thin filmy white in a sky that was almost blue and through and between the clouds a few pale sulphurous stars showed the two men walked out of the indigo shadow of the church across the light grey open space around which stood white and grey and dark-coloured houses an open cab rattled across the square making a stony noise one of the men said something to the other then the cab stopped and they both got into it the cab turned round and the unwilling horse was again driven away from his stable he reared up his head at the end of his long straight neck and pulling the cab by his shoulders clattered with his heavy hoofs and sloping haunches out of the market-place towards the new bridge he could hear everything partly because of the still night and partly because he was tired he stretched back his ears to listen because when he listened he forgot he was pulling a cab he could hear the rattle of the cab wheels and the unoiled sigh of the springs and the driver's sleepy tsk tsk and the voices of the two men in the cab talking about plays and theatres above these sounds he heard a buzzing noise in his head a buzz in which the noises of the trams and shouts and footsteps and wheels of the past day were all combined and again above that he could hear the river moving the sound of water perhaps that was the reason why he stretched his neck and kept his head up this is nineteen three said steinbach in the middle of the bridge let us produce something at leipzig in nineteen four us said martin steinbach looked at the moonlight on the water and let it sink into his mind it was sinking into Martin's soul, as all such things did, without him making any effort. Steinbach answered as he looked at the water. I can write better stuff than those Croesus words. He went on. We can live in Leipzig. My father will back Croesus for you for a week at one of the theatres. It is very kind, said Martin dreamily. Not at all. Steinbach's face beamed in a radiant smile, which immediately woke Martin out of his short dreaming fit. My father has nothing to do with his money. What a queer little place this is, he said, as they turned over the bridge into the new part of the town. A queer little place, assented Martin. Why do you live here? Force of habit, said Martin. You do not look a native. I was born and bred here. Aha, said Steinbach, as other people say, yes, and bedazzled. I was more bedazzled in Paris, Martin laughed were you born in the house we are going to no answered martin down near the marktplatz of the people quite so said steinbach the upper classes are too well fed to breed a genius they say overfeeding and idleness produces women and inferior men i am the product of luxury when i was in paris said martin everybody was very effeminate women are the children of civilization said steinbach all the primitive horrid grand states of being such as war and savagery produce men and silly women he laughed then and said you did not become effeminate in paris no said martin but it civilized me steinbach did not expect him to be capable of making a confession about himself what he said was perfectly true paris had had an immense influence over him he was quite incapable at present of midnight rambles or ecstasies under the moon. He had forgotten the unchained feeling of his twenty-first year. His ability to call the past the past made him appear to be a new kind of man to those who knew him intimately. He had given up worshipping nature with the passionate abandonment of his youth, and his vitality, stimulated enormously by the new things of Paris, was expended upon technical rather than passionate art and amongst drawing-rooms and clubs rather than amongst hills and valleys his work gained in suavity and brilliance but it was not profound the poverty of croesus the outcome of his parisian year had bouquet rather than depth and was more original than inspired they arrived at martin's door the horse no sooner heard the chink of money than he strode round and was off in a hurry to his stable he hoped there would be no one in that fateful plots late diners out always hailed his cab in that wretched place martin opened the door with a key and they went in i wait on myself at this time of the night he said taking his companion into a room where an elaborate cold supper was put in easy reach of a chair drawn up to the table steinbach thought of an illustration in a romantic tale which he liked when a child of a young musician supping alone at a table covered with a lace-edged cloth and spread with delicious viands martin lit the candelabra and turned off the electric light steinbach told martin of the illustration who did not know it never having cared much for books they ate a great deal and drank a great deal of white wine and martin at last said what is your opinion of my opera i thought answered steinbach looking down into his glass from which he extracted a little bit of cork with his little finger that your music was very good and original i should like to have a share in your fate i listened very carefully to your music because i intended you to ask me my opinion you should never conduct your own things you see what they are meant to represent rather than what they do represent composers usually misinterpret their own works of art an outsider would have marked those interesting subtleties which doubtless you know nothing about there was an hiatus or two where you found yourself over-interpreting do you object to my criticism not in the least said martin go on steinbach smiled broadly i've nothing more to say if you will live with me in leipzig i shall be delighted i will marry you to some good woman no said martin i will not marry yet a loose character are you grinned steinbach not more so than others said martin i do not approve of moral looseness nor atheism said steinbach in a slow humorous voice you sound tolerant martin answered smiling quite so answered steinbach but i am not he smiled again i am a prig but not a prude it was impossible to tell if he meant what he said or whether he were the loosest man on earth i want to give you an impression of myself see that is done martin had received no impression whatever of steinbach he seemed to assume a kind of green virtue he seemed very easy he made statements about their partnership as if that were easy and about producing croesus in leipzig for a week as if that were easy show me your works of art schuler he said after a pause and martin showed him all his better and more recent productions and played after a fashion all that he thought would redound to his credit Steinbach murmured yes good quite so go on at intervals and listened with calculating critical ears but gave no opinion on any particular fragment at last he said he must go and without any further talk departed when he had gone martin felt pleased praised and happy he smiled at himself in the glass before he went to bed for he often looked at himself in the glass when he lived alone for companionship after that he got into bed and fell asleep remembering non-existent beauties of his croesus End of part two, chapter nine, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.